they come, so comes the New Kingdom Casts podcast episode, talking about the new releases for Wednesday, February 19th, 2020. So once more, welcome to the Kingdom Cast podcast. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> Hold up, start over again. <laughs> So, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, none much. Let's start off with Dark Horse this week. Dark Horse released a new number one, banged number one, and man, just right out of the gate there. This one just came out of nowhere. Writer Matt Kent and artist Wilfredo Torres. Yeah, that was a good book. It's a mini series, but the problem with all these books is that issue ones never do anything. But uh, this issue one, it sort of let, it laid the whole thing out for you for the most part. There's still questions there, obviously, but they you sort of get a like you know here's what we're working in in this book. They go ahead and lay it all out very well in issue one, which I appreciate. Well, I do too. They just came out right out of the gate with this. But look, I want to make a side note. Not enough women are named Fanny anymore. <laughs> I, I wanted them to name my niece Fanny, since by the time she became a teenager, we would just be referring to her as an ass anyway. But none of my family would go for it, so I was glad to see that Matt Kent was trying to bring back the name Fanny. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I was going to say something about men, but I don't remember the last time I've called anyone Dick outside of Dick Grayson and some old people. I'm trying to think. Well, okay, there's Dick Grayson. There's, so far as characters go, there's Dick from Third Rock from the Sun. But that's part of the joke. They're Tom, Dick, and Harry on yeah. Third Rock from the, the Sun. Well, there was a politician named Dick Army. <laughs> well, see, I knew some guys, you know, they went by, their names were Richard or something, and it was short for, and they went by Dick, but but all of them were older guys. No, you don't see that often anymore. Nope. So, and what would Fanny be short for? I don't. <laughs> Fancine? <laughs> I have no idea. Bang number one. I loved it, too. And it wasn't just a take or a version of James Bond. I really felt that this promises multiple facets and and a continual fall down a rabbit hole here. This is more just Matt Kent's take on 007 and MI6. Yeah, the name of the organization that this secret agent works for is MI10, set up specifically to deal with a countercultural group that does not believe reality is real. And that the way to get out of what we're trapped in as reality is to break the entire game. It's really promising. There's a lot of thought and effort put into this. So I highly recommend picking this first one up. I'm very excited for this book. Yeah, to me it reads like a, a very meta James Bond comic, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's more promising than just a spy novel, than yeah. just a spy comic or a spy story. You really do need to pick this up. I love it. Albert and I both love it. But more importantly, Keanu Reeves loves it. And who are you to disagree with Neo? No one. So buy the damn book. My score on bang number one is the I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four and the dynamic a five. My score was 4.7 on it. Uh, yeah, I gave writing dynamic a five, and I, I don't know about the art. We'll say, yeah, I'll go ahead and give the art a four. The art did what it was supposed to do, and it was good for this book. It wasn't life-changing art. It was really good, and it worked in the parameters of this book. So, yeah, go in to your local comic book shop and ask for bang number one from Dark Horse. You're going to be sorry if you don't pick this one up. Matt Kent's a solid writer. This has a lot of promise to it. Yeah, and someone will pick it up eventually for a movie or a TV show or something. Yeah, his idea, his concept, this is begging for a treatment on a screen. Let's jump over to Image Comics this week. As promised, we are going to review Spawn number 305, written by Todd McFarlane, artist Jason Sean Alexander with Todd McFarlane. So, while I really enjoyed the Spawn story arc that built up and ended, or, or built up and had its semi-conclusion in number 300. The subsequent issues to this are kind of leaving me a bit cold. I thought it was okay. At the end of the day, it's just a Spawn comic. To me, Spawn and Ghost Rider are very similar, that no matter how much you try to do with them, you got a very small room to work with on it. It's all sort of the same thing. This is okay, though. One thing that I realized while I was reading this particular issue that didn't seem to be as slap you in the face as some previous issues is 
I didn't really realize how much I appreciated Casada's decision at Marvel to get rid of the narrative boxes and reserve them for character thoughts until this issue. The narrative boxes kind of seemed obnoxious to me. Yeah, I could see where you could get that. It makes me feel like Todd thinks we're not smart enough to understand that Spawn A killed Spawn B while she Spawn watched in bloody awe. The art is great. The art swaps back and forth from Alexander's style to Todd's style, but it works. I think Todd only did the last couple of pages. I think he's inking or outlining something. I think he, he, was he may to, be. Yeah. He may be doing like a ink job here and there, but yeah, I think the only the only pages I noticed that were just Todd pages for like the last couple, specifically the last couple. But it still works. It wasn't a shock to your system to swap from Alexander to Todd. No, yeah, I, it flows fairly well. You can tell it's a different person doing it. It all works in the context of it. It's not jarring, and sometimes these things are jarring. I remember. Arthur Adams is uncredited, and I think issue number seven of the original Secret Wars, he filled in for Mike Zeck for like two pages, and it was distinctively different. It was almost like you were in a different comic level different, and this isn't. This was a smooth transition, even though you can tell it's not the same person doing the base work on it. I've never been a Spawn fan, and there's been nothing really in the last five issues since 300 to convert me into one. 300 and the lead into 300 almost had converted me a bit. Still, Spawn is Spawn. I gave the writing a two, the art a four, the dynamic a three, score three. Yeah, I guess I give it threes across the board. This is okay comic. This is Spawn comic. I can see why it's maintained its fan base, but this particular comic, I wish we had reviewed 304 instead of 305 because 305 got really obnoxious with those boxes. And I even went back and looked at 304 to see if there was a difference in there. While, there. while the narrative boxes were there, they did not seem as condescending, to me at least. Also from Image Comics this week, we've got On the Stump number one, writer Chuck Brown and art by Prinzi. Albert, why don't you start on this? I did not like this comic. It seems pointless. There doesn't seem to be any real plot to it or anything. It's just sort of, hey, here's an idea where, like, senators fight each other for policy. or They get in a ring and fight each other, and that's how policy and stuff get done. Then there was no more thought put into it than that. When I read the blurb on it, I almost wanted us to skip it completely. But then I stopped and thought, no, wait a minute. This could be the one. You could be just passing judgment on it too quickly. This is yet another comic that thinks it and it alone has the correct metaphorical, satirical take on today's socio-political situation. It doesn't. It wants to be smart and clever and wrapped in the same cloak that the classic movie King of the Hill creator, Idiocracy, right? Yes. Yeah, that that classic movie wrapped itself in, but it doesn't come close to that. It's a bunch of fury without any sound, and it signifies less than nothing. It's meant to shock and provoke. It doesn't do anything, and I'm disappointed mostly with Image for letting this take up space, time, and money, and ink, and paper when I know they've been handed better stuff to publish. If you think that you've got the greatest satirical take on current modern-day society ever, let me stop you right there and say, if you think that, by sheer fact of you thinking that, you do not have it. This is forced, and there's nothing really redeeming about it. I get tired of it. Not all of life is about politics. Unfortunately, given the situation that the media, and when I say media, I don't mean the news outlets, just the news outlets, I mean all of Hollywood, movies, even down to the comic books, they think that it all has to be about that, and it doesn't. Typically, if you just go out and try to tell a good story, you come closer to getting your points and your point of view across better than you do with something like this. I gave the writing a zero. The art, I gave a one because, you know, the guy showed up and put pen to paper. The dynamic, I gave a zero. The My score was like 0.5. I mean, I ain't going to give them zeros, but the... the... The writing and dynamic, I give a one. The art, art's not too bad, but it's just wasted, so I gave it like a two. Well, I'm, I'm tired of it. It's okay to not worry about politics every second of every single day. As a matter of fact, I'm utterly and completely convinced that 
it's the whole system is designed for you to do that when there's more important things out there and we're worrying about this politician, that politician, or this person's political stance, or that person's political stance. I'm one of these idiots that thinks comic books are here to be art and entertain. This just isn't entertaining. It's not anything. I don't care how many professors you hire to write backup pages at the end of your comic. Seems to be a waste to me. Well, there, Albert. And it's well, going I mean, to get. Comic books are political. They can be, and they cannot be political. Except, except they have to be good if they're going to be political. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. Because if a, if, if a book is political and it's bad, it's, then it's just terrible. There's no ands, ifs, or buts that Chris Claremont, X Men, was heavily political. But you know what? You never knew it because you were enjoying the story the entire time. I mean, God loves man kill ain't subtle. No, it's not subtle at all. But at the same time, you're not dealing with your real life situations. You're dealing with mutants and mutant rights. Claremont knew how to do this. This guy ain't Claremont. <laughs> Peter David knows how to do it. Mark Wade knows how to do it. If you think you're just going to go out there and blatantly try to hit somebody over the head with it, all you're not getting any points across. I'm disappointed in Image for wasting the time and the resources. I know they've been pitched better than this. For the love of God, I'm fairly certain that 12-gauge has God knows how many stories standing by that deserves the space that you know, they gave to this. There's a subtleness and an art to this, and this was just trash. Now, speaking of something that's not trash... Undiscovered Country number 4 by Charles Soule and Scott Snyder. Not the bad Scott Snyder that we dislike from Justice League, but the good Scott Snyder that we like from Undiscovered Country. And artist Daniel Orlandini. Man, I love this book. <laughs> this book is great. I'm not entirely sure what's going on in it, but this is an outstanding book. I kind of almost felt like I missed an issue, did you? I had to go back and look, and I see no, where no, they got... No, I remember when they got caught. Yeah. Well, I remember them getting caught, but I had to go back and look, and my problem was is I was so fixated on the coin-changing colors at the end of issue number three to determine what the gear differential was between outside of the borders of America and inside the borders that when this one started off, they started off like we knew who this clawed character was. I mean, the symbolism, the symbolism in that is great. Yeah, they sort of didn't go back to that coin, did they? No, 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 no. I mean, you're just trapped there. You were too busy focusing on the hows, whos, and whys of the reporter that was with them so she could move the story forward. But that was a nice turn to it. That was a nice little twist. This is a major surrealistic labyrinth of insanity, and it's a very fun ride. You want to talk about symbolism, being able to get your point across, while entertaining, doing it in a nondescript way, well, that's what Undiscovered Country number four does. That's what the all four issues of this book does. I'm just loving this. Yeah, I, I thought this, so far this is the weaker of the four, but it's still a great book either way. You see, I didn't think that. Now, they wrote in Buzz, and I'm not going to give away who Buzz is, but they kind of wrote Buzz into that, and I kind of, okay, well, there's... Not a MacGuffin, but a plot device. He was an acceptable one. If you can accept everything else that's going on, you're, you're going to have no problem with Buzz. I didn't even think it was a weaker one. I, I want to know what the deal is with the coin. I think we've got as much of an answer as we're going to get for a couple of issues on that coin when he said it's been far, far more time at the end of issue number three. Yeah. My score on it was the writing was five, art was a four, and the dynamic was a five. I gave the dynamic a five. I didn't put the art up to five because I let the character design fall under dynamic. If Danielle Orlandini is the one designing the characters in this, hats off to you, really. Score 4.7 for me on Undiscovered Country number four. It's a hell of a ride, and there's enough reprints of the first three issues out there that you should be able to find them and catch up. I give the art a four, the dynamic a five, and the writing a four. So you're at 4.3, and I'm at 4.7. We both still think that this is a hell of a book. It's hard to see Scott Snyder from Justice League writing this book. No, no, I, I could see it pretty obvious. To me, I could see it fairly easily. I think he's freer, and I've said this before, is it the fact that he's freer playing with characters that are of his own collaboration and not pre-existing icons? 
I doubt it because DC lets him write what he wants to. I don't know. Well, yeah, I'm sure DC lets him write what he wants to, but I'm talking about there's the own elements of self that come into it, that he may think that he has to treat Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman one way, but he's freer in this other book. I'm just enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah, but he also has, like, Charles Soleil there, too, to help him. Yeah. Now let's move on to DC Comics. Okay, I talked to my friend in Tennessee. We discussed a few things that we discuss on the podcast, and he says, yeah, that there is a bit of a Harley Quinn and Joker backlash going on, that there is such a thing as too much Harley Quinn and Joker being shoved down the public's throats. And it's starting to show. For instance, I know that Joker insanity came out this week and we're just kind of skipping over it yeah i knew joker was turning up in batman number 89 as well give me a week off of joker and harley quinn books anything to add to that no i mean they're gonna stick harley in every single book they can anyway well i feel as though they may be backing off that for a bit i know she's in the current batman run but she wasn't did you find her as annoying as she normally is in batman number 89 uh no they still let her in Catwoman beat people they shouldn't beat, but oh, you don't think that they should have got the drop on Merlin and who's the woman? Was that Lady Shiva? Yeah, Lady Shiva. Oh, was that Lady Shiva? Yeah, the no, they definitely didn't have it. Shouldn't have had a chance against Shiva. I'm almost positive that's her, but yep. they haven't shown. They haven't had her wear that in, in a long time. I don't think. Yeah, I, if that was Lady Shiva, then no, they. I forget who that was, and I knew two issues ago, but we only see her conscious in one panel. If that was Shiva, then no, I agree. Neither Harley nor Catwoman nor Harley and Catwoman combined. I don't have a problem with Merlin. I've never thought much of Merlin. I know they try to build him up, but he's not exactly Deathstroke. Okay, all you eBay prognosticators, run out and grab all of Batman number 89 off the shelf, even though you've never read an issue in your life, because some fourth-tier character, who we won't remember this time next year, has a first-time cameo in this issue. I'm a member of a bunch of buy-and-sell groups on Facebook, and one guy in one group posted this comic for like for $35, and no one bought it, so then he posted it in a different group for $20. Previews World, in other words, Diamond Comics, is selling the first cover that she's going to appear on in, I think, 90 or whatever it is, for like $15 a shot before the final order cutoffs on it has even occurred. And they're doing that on eBay. Sometimes I've wondered, did Didio call down and say, look, Tinian, you've, you've got to create a new character so we can amp up Batman's numbers and get him back in the top five? If you are, it's not worth it. It's not worth running out and grabbing multiple copies of this for just that character. I think you see her lips, and that's about it. Yeah, you see, like, her lower part of her face, and that's it. This is Major X all over again. And let me ask all of you out there that ran out to buy all those Major X issues, how's that investment working out for you? like Joker's daughter, remember that? Oh, God. Yeah, I'd forgotten Joker's daughter. This is exactly what that's like. Anyway, this character's called Punchline, and she's somehow in league with the Joker. That aside... I feel like Tinian is laying groundwork for something bigger in these issues than just the current storyline. I think he's planning on something bigger coming down the pike. It feels like Batman to me, much more so than Tom King's. Given Tinian's background, given that I really do think he's got a larger game at play here, when the supposed main villain shows up in a costume that looks like a 12-year-old designed it for his very first supervillain, I'm kind of willing to give it some leeway here. Yeah, I guess. All comic book characters look like 12-year-olds designed them, though, when they first show up. Well, no, not Major X. <laughs> look at all those. Look at Wildcats or all that crap from the 90s. They were, I mean, Lord, Savage Dragon was literally something Eric Larson made as a kid and just kept doing it. There's something to that. Well, But this guy shows up in a mismatched outfit that looks really ridiculous and over the top, and I think there's a reason behind it. I'm hoping there's a reason behind it. I think that Tinian's run on this is all going to be dependent on the landing. Because if it misfires, couple this with the damage that King did, and it's going to be a hell of a long walk back to the Batcave. I thought the art in this issue, and we talked a little bit about the art in last issue. Last issue, I forget the name of the guy that did it. It's It was a different guy. But the art jumping between issues is a bit disconcerting. They're similar, but the two art styles and the story arc don't complement each other. And we were just talking about this in Spawn. What Gillum March does in this issue 
is so dynamically different with the art that it makes me like the art in the previous issue less. So the problem with the last one was that everyone was uh, distorted all over the place. Yeah. This one, they're not. Gillen March's art does not seem consistent to me. Well, I think it looked better this issue than it did last issue. I think it did look better this issue than it did last issue. But this is kind of disconcerting because, like we said earlier with Spawn number 305, you had Todd McFarlane do the last couple of pages, and it complemented Alexander's art from the rest of the issue, and it wasn't jarring. But Gillen March's art in this is not consistent. And while I was rating it as, okay, yeah, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, the differences are, well, I've noticed the differences. And that's, that's a big thing. Overall, my score for Batman number 89 was, I gave the writing a four because I believe in James Tinian. It was a good issue, and I enjoyed the banter between Fox and Batman. I enjoyed the other dynamic between the characters as well. It all seemed to work. I still gave the art a four in this, but I gave the dynamic a two because I honestly thought it was a different guy doing the last issue than it was this issue. So my overall score for Batman number 89 was 3.2. I gave the book straight fours. It seems like this issue, they found their footing better for the title. They've sort of got into their groove as far as their arts and the writing. Much better book than what it was the last couple of issues to me. It finally feels like Batman again. It really does. Yeah. And I do trust Tinian in where we're going. I'm just hoping against hope because fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Basically, I would tell somebody that's left the standard Batman title, yeah, come on back. Try this one out. Uh, and I hope I still can after this story arc is over. Yeah. Still on DC Comics, Deceased Unkillables, number one of three. Writer Tom Taylor, art by Carl Mostart and Trevor Scott. Howard Porter does the cover. I know I keep complaining about zombies, and I truly am tired of zombies, and I keep saying that, and I continue to pick up these zombie books. I hate to say it. I liked the first miniseries, and I very much liked this first issue as well. It's a car wreck, and I'm going to slow down and get a good look and recommend that most of you morbid individuals do the same. I liked it. I don't know. It sort of reminds me of a low-rent version of Crossed. As far I didn't as get plot, that. As far as the plot goes, but the, the writing with the dialogue I enjoy, and the art's good. It's just I don't care for the plot at all. Let's just assume that we got there via the Stephen King device of the cell phones, which is what started off the deceased situation with the people becoming zombies. Yeah. I enjoyed the first one, and that is to say that I didn't think it was an entire waste of money. It wasn't high on my list or anything, but I very much liked this number one better than I did the others, and I think it's because it holds so much more potential with the bad guys, rather than looking at this from the superhero's point of view like we did the previous series. This one, you've got Vandal Savage leading up, and I liked his line about, look, this is not the first mass extinction event I've lived through. I like that line, and I and the lineup makes sense to me, and I like that the closest thing we've got to a good guy is Red Hood. Yeah, well, Creeper. Now, well, Creeper siding with the bad guys. Hey, what is Creeper? And I wanted to ask you this. He shows up and he works with the good guys, but he's treated like a bad guy and not in the same way Deadpool is. I don't know. I've read a bunch of stories with Creeper over the years. I just, he, 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 he he's a good guy, but I don't think any of the characters usually care to deal with him too much. Oh, that may be it. This also has art by Carl Mostart, and he was on a comic book a couple of weeks ago, and I had mistaken him for Frank Whiteley. I can see the same thing in this book, except for the eyes. I don't get that at all. Heavy Frank Whiteley influence in it, but not the eyes. His eyes don't seem, the eyes that he draws on these characters don't seem quite right. Overall, look, you liked The First Deceased? definitely put out money on Deceased Unkillables number one. It's only three issues long, and it's it's off to a pretty darn good start. Writing, I gave a four. The art, I gave a four. The dynamic, I gave a three. I would have gone lower because I hate zombie. I'm tired of the zombies. But the fact that I've picked this one up to read it got the dynamic to a three. Score is 3.7 for me. Yeah, I'm probably just give it straight threes. Okay, fair enough. But it, it's an okay book. I like the ending where Vandal Savage and the other guys show up. So I'm gonna, I'll keep reading it. I might as well finish it up. Only three issues. 
Flash forward number six, writer Scott Lobdell, artist Brett Booth, and Norm Rapman. This book is a DC epic done right. It, it, it leaves us, yeah, it really does. It leaves us with promise and it gives us an actual conclusion to reality shattering events. The showcase is the best of what DC was and gives us a promise of what it could be again if somebody who actually knows and cares about these characters and their history is put at the helm for it. I thought Flash Forward issue number six ends the Flash Forward series and I thought it knocked it out of the park. They put Wally back, they haven't put him back to what he was, but they put a lot of things back to where they're supposed to be. You know, they brought the kids back and the right away for the kids that they just showed up and when Linda instantly remembers them, that's an easy ride off and I'm fine with that. That works. You get Wally in the Mobius chair. He's sort of the new Metron, but he's not... It's not it's implied to me that, that him smiling is that he's not as blank slate as Fujinot probably thought he was going to be. Yes. I'm really enjoying the character of Tempest Fujinot too and it's not over for wally and when i say that i mean it's not over for wally has the flash this is a chess piece being put into a position i just hope that they use him wisely in the future yeah if you're a fan of dc comics and did not pick up flash forward get it in trade paperback when it comes out i gave this issue fives across the board brett booth's artwork is just on another level they should really put him on one of their top tier books Really and truly, Brett Booth is just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I give it a fives across the board. How about you? Same score. Fantastic book. And people haven't been reading it. They should go back and read the whole miniseries. Yeah, and now that issues number six is out, it'll just be, what would you say, about three weeks, four weeks before we get trade or a mini hardcover? I don't, this is DC. This ain't Marvel. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Always forget about DC. DC has more of a lag time on this. Well worth you picking up and trade paperback. Surely they'd have a collected edition out by Free Comic Day. I'd like to think so. Yeah, that's just a couple of months away. Let's talk about the one comic book that's not in DC continuity. It's part of Joe Hill's Hill House comic line under the Black Label. Plunge, number one of six issues. It's written by Joe Hill himself, art by Stuart Eimanen. This is the best of the Hill House comics yet. I thought it was very well written, and the art keeps you engaged in what really should be visually static situations. It's great storytelling with well-grounded characterization. I'm all aboard for this one. Very, very good writing. Like I said, fantastic writing. Eminem does a fantastic job on art. The plot seems to be fairly interesting. They set up a wonderful mystery. They set up a wonderful horror comic. They do. And Stewart's art in this is just, it was really some extraordinary work on this. I did not expect to enjoy this book as much as I did. I've liked a few of the Hill House comics. The Dollhouse comes to mind. This one is by far and away issue number one. If I was going to recommend any of them, it's going to be issue number one of Plunge. I gave it fives across the boards. I really worked hard not to give it fives across the boards, but I couldn't find anything that would take away from the writing and the art and just the overall storytelling in it. Yeah, that's my score, too. Like, it's top-quality book, probably the best-written book out this week. Could be. I don't know. I would say, if I had to recommend between It and Bang from Dark Horse, I, I think I'd still go with Bang. This would be a close second. Which would I don't you know. I, I don't know. Right on the line. I don't, that's a hard one. I, I would say this one. I'd say Plunge. Say but Plunge. Only, but only by hair. I'd still go with Bang, though. But they're both worth your money. And they're both number ones, and they require no knowledge of anything else having come before it. We're going to go into Justice League. But before we discuss Justice League number 41, have you heard the situation that they're trying to get Momoa and Godot to agree to be in Flashpoint, the Flashpoint movie, so they can do their Aquaman versus Wonder Woman thing to specifically wipe out the Justice League movie? No. It's in that weird area of more than a rumor, but not quite in the hard scripting phase of it. They have to get Momoa and Godot to agree first, but it looks like they're trying to utilize the Flashpoint movie to erase the Justice League movie from existence so they can start over with their younger Batman and a younger Superman. While keeping Godot as Wonder Woman, Momoa has Aquaman, and Levi has Shazam, and The Rock has Black Adam. Would you rather them do a movie like Flashpoint in order to wipe Justice League from continuity? 
Or would you rather them just ignore Justice League and continue forward? I just ignore Justice League and just do what you want to do. Who cares? Yeah, you can just point blank say, look, Wonder Woman counts, Aquaman counts, Shazam counts, and Black Adam counts. Don't worry about Justice League. Here's you a new Batman, and we got a new Superman coming. Yeah. And I don't think the general public would have a problem with that at all. No, not at all. I don't see why anyone would have a problem with that. Just no, I, yeah, I don't. I, I make make the movie you want to make. Be done with it. Yeah, I'm kind of scared that a Flashpoint movie might even muddy the waters even more, especially after you come off the CW Crisis on Infinite Earths collaboration, which the main result of that is that all the heroes are now on the same Earth together. It wasn't great. It was mediocre at best. At worst, it was hackneyed in some places. There was a few things in that television crossover, the Crisis on Infinite Earths, that kind of tugged at your heartstrings from nostalgia point of view. But overall, you can't help but watch this and make comparisons, even though you know the budgets are worlds apart, and so are the resources, between it and what the Avengers are doing in the Avengers movies. You know that they're not going to be able to touch WandaVision or... Falcon and Winter Soldier with the budget that Disney Plus has for them. And so I think we'd be okay if we just didn't delve into the multiverse thing with DC anymore and just went forward with new movies. You've got some promising stuff. Wonder Woman 84, I'm truly excited for. Yeah, I mean, that movie looks great. The first Wonder Woman movie was great. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I didn't care for Aquaman, but God bless Momoa is pulling it off. And he does a great job. He He's really enthusiastic about being Aquaman. And I want to see what he comes up with next. I want to see what's next for Aquaman, even though I wasn't flag-waving on the first movie. Love Shazam, and I'm excited about The Rock and Black Adam and everything I've heard about it. If they want to reboot it with Flashpoint, you don't have to have anybody else in there. Just have sort of reset the universe in that movie itself. You don't have to have Wonder Woman or Aquaman in it. Yeah, I don't think the general public knows enough about DC Comics Atlantis and um, Themyscira to see them wage a world war against each other. And I don't really necessarily think that we want to see any version of either Aquaman or Wonder Woman in a darker light on the big screen right now. And when I say darker light, I don't mean moody or anything. I mean that they were both kind of villainesque in the Flashpoint comics. Yeah. I can see you get the wrong director and the wrong writers on this, and that's exactly what they're going to go for. I just don't care for the idea at all. And also, along the same lines, have you seen where there's a petition out to get Amber Heard off of the Aquaman movie? I saw that. What do you think about that? I wouldn't be surprised if they just recast her and and try not to make a big deal about it. Just say... Here's Aquaman 2, here's who's playing Mara, and just sort of leave it at that. No, I don't think that'd be a problem at all. Nobody would miss Amber Heard on this. And again, I kind of side with, I don't even understand why we know about all this. This is a matter for the courts. But since everybody that has any sort of fame whatsoever has their entire life broadcast across multiple mediums at this point, I kind of side with Johnny Depp on this. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I not. Well, that's well. I'm saying that there are things that you can't you can't possibly know everything. Yeah, I feel bad for Johnny on this. He's taken real big hits. I don't want to sit in Aquaman two or whatever comes up that Mara's in and sit there the entire time thinking you screwed over Captain Jack while looking at Amber Heard. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, so it detracts. So DC, you know, Warner Brothers would be wise to kind of escort her out and just quietly bring somebody else in. Bring in Lisa Bonet. Dye her hair red. No, I don't think she'd work. (laughs) I think it'd be interesting if Amber Heard tried to slap around Momoa on that set and Lisa got word about it, because I'm fairly certain Lisa could take her. (laughs) Easily. I'm fairly certain Lisa Bonet would be in my top 20 people you don't want to piss off in person. But enough about what I do in my spare time. What comic were we talking about? (laughs) Justice League number. Oh, so over time. I forgot. I was segueing to it. Okay. If you don't like the new format, you can blame Charles. Well, I, didn't, I didn't know what comic we was talking about. 
We're talking about, well, we're about to start talking about Justice League number 41, writer Robert Vendetti gotcha. and art by Doug Monk. Let me just start with a quote that I'm sure Dan Didio has to be thinking if he hasn't said it publicly at some point. And that quote would be something along the lines of, here at DC Comics, we have one defining belief above all others, and that's fuck you and continuity. Don't cuss. <laughs> I'm going to beep it. I'll even use the little R2-D2 beat. Okay. <laughs> this story happens before the last Justice League story, but after Somehow. Alfred, yeah, but somehow, after Alfred dies, but also after Superman comes out of the Daily Planet's closet as Clark Kent to the general public, except on the pages where it doesn't happen in that time period. And on those pages, it happens at a date yet to be determined, which we may or may not fill you, the reader, in on. Dear Lord, really? It's just a filler arc, so I don't, I don't know why they just didn't end the... Well, I don't know why don't... we can't have the actual Justice League in real time, or in real time, in real comic book time in it. Because they're off doing that Zack Snyder thing. But you see, that's just it. They went off on... The, it, it, none of this makes sense. And that's why I made that opening Didio's gut. That's got to be Didio's policy in that opening statement. And guess what, Albert? I know how this story arc ends. I bet the good guys win. Well, I'm sure the Justice League win, and there's no lasting ramifications that go past the last issue of the story arc. And I know this because if there had been, Snyder would have covered it in his Justice League story, which takes place after this story. Well, I mean, which, it's eradicator. It ain't like there's anything worth talking about. Well, that's just it. And this is Justice League, and there should be something worth talking about. You can write good, apparently DC can't, but other comic book companies can write good team books. And some of, and, yeah, we're going to get to those shortly. <laughs> and some of these lines in it, I'm not just Kal-El, I'm Clark Kent. Neither the Eradicator nor the Reader gives a crap. You read the Green Lantern Justice League call? Justice League, hold the line. I mean, it's not Avengers Assemble or X-Men Attack, but, you know, maybe if we keep trying at it, Justice League Jubilee. Well, he was giving orders. He wasn't saying, like, a catchphrase. He's just saying, hey... Cap's giving orders, too. <laughs> but what does Avengers Assemble even mean? It means get online, get on point, and get ready. That's exactly what it means. There's not a doubt in anybody's mind when Captain America says Avengers Assemble what he means. But when he says it, they're already all standing there. No, they're joining him. They're in the <sighs> process. He's rallying no, them. Every time he says it, they're all standing still, being like, okay, what's next? Justice League, hold the line. How about Justice League, get jaunty? <laughs> Justice League, adjudicate. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have had that last headache powder. And also, this is Madame Xanadu, right? The sorceress they go after that Batman's gone after? Yeah. Little Mouse. Lady, he is clearly a grown man dressed up as a bat. He even has that damn bat symbol on his chest. If you can't get his fetish correct, then why are you even in this book? <laughs> She was saying it as a joke. <laughs> really? I didn't laugh, Albert. Did you? <laughs> I don't laugh at anything anymore. That's not true. Every now and again, I make you laugh. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that when we were recording the Star Wars episode, you, you laughed a couple of times. <laughs> Maybe not why I wanted you to, but... <laughs> it was um, a cough in my throat. I had a... Do you disagree with anything that I'm saying about this book? No, this this book is pointless and served no, no need for it. They should have just ended it when Snyder left rather than do this. Put it on hiatus. That would have served a purpose. I, I wouldn't necessarily want whatever Snyder does next with these characters to be what fills the hiatus, but it would serve the book well to go on hiatus rather than try to churn out something and explain timelines, which they're not doing real well. I've got one semi-serious question, and then I've got a real serious observation about it. Just out of curiosity, do you think that the general populace on DC and both Marvel's Earths pay attention to random aliens, bad guys, or planet eaters? that show up and announce that they're going to extinguish all life on Earth in an hour? They or, better. Well, okay, do you think they really do as many times as it happens, or, or do they pay as much attention to that as, like, I do the tornado sirens, which is to say not any attention at all? No, they'd have to. I mean, they just can't be like, I mean, if you saw the Justice League or Avengers fighting some entity, you just can't just walk through it and go to work. 
Well, no, not in that immediate area, which only happened to be Metropolis, because apparently that's where you go after you enter Earth's atmosphere, not to any other strategic point, but to Metropolis. Okay, let's take Birmingham, Alabama in the DC universe. And that announcement comes across the TV and radio stations. And this announcement has come across after every other announcement ever made by any bad guy. Do you think that people would go home from schools and work? I don't know, probably. I'm just curious. Because this is a very common occurrence in, in both of those universes. I was just wondering about that. Also, my serious observation is I can't help but think it would have been mildly more interesting if the Eradicator had held up Superman's unconscious body at the end of the issue rather than Wonder Woman's. I think that would have shown a greater threat level. We would get to see the remainder of the League function without Superman. I blame Didio because clearly he hates strong women. I, I just... And it's not a political thing. It's just so cliche. You remember when Darkseid showed up in the Super Friends cartoons and they showed it, called it Superpowers? Or were you too young? I was too young. That was also like the last season or so. Darkseid's main intent in that cartoon series that aired on Saturday mornings was that he was going to make Wonder Woman marry him. And so when I see Eradicator hold up Wonder Woman's unconscious body, I think, oh, that's great. We haven't come up with a better idea other than to put Wonder Woman in jeopardy. Yeah. I'm just kind of disappointed with the issue. I didn't even bother grading it. I'm just going to say Vendetti's take on the Justice League is a completely different take than Snyder's, but not even remotely any better. I gave back the writing of two, the art of three, and dynamic of two. I'm just going to give it a two overall. The art yeah. is, Doug Monk's art is fine in it, but Justice League's not worth your money right now. Spend it on something better. If you just insist on picking up something from DC, then let us tell you that's something better we'd probably recommend. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number eight. Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber. Man, I gotta tell you, I want Gorilla CNN right now. Ook, ook. Ook, ook, ook. That's a city full of gorillas. Of course I go there all the time. <laughs> Pure joy in comic book format. I really do. I think Matt Fraction needs to be made chief creative officer at DC Media over all of it as soon as possible. Every moment you're not reading this comic is a moment of joyless existential darkness that you're not even aware you're experiencing. I love Jimmy Olsen. Well, I wouldn't go that far. It was a pretty good book. I gave the writing a five, the art of four, the dynamic a five. Overall score was 4.7. I'll give that score too, but that plot needs to get going. So we both recommend Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number eight. Continue to pick it up. We're going to jump back over now to Legion of Superheroes. Writer Brian Michael Bendis, art by Mikkel Janin. This book doesn't do anything. On any level, does it? It really doesn't. It's just we're no closer to the conclusion of this story than we was on the first page of issue one. No, I have to agree with you. Or it's not even a conclusion. We're not anywhere in this. No. They're not even mentioning anything. I mean, Aquaman's trident gets brought back up, and that's all we hear about it. Yep, that's pretty much it. I got to assume that getting a doctorate in microbiology takes less time than getting through the, the Legion of Superheroes orientation at the rate that Bendis is writing this. Is the whole plot of the first storyline to try to get Superboy to sit through the entire orientation thing? I guess. But... Let me tell you something that's funny, and it's not funny. Halfway through reading this issue, and I didn't even realize it, it suddenly hit me that I was actually browsing the Lego site. <laughs> I'm not even sure how in the hell I don't have a conscious memory of, like, jumping screens away from it or anything. <laughs> it was just suddenly I was looking at the latest Legos and thinking, yeah, I, I like that one. I don't like that one. And then it hit me. Wasn't I reading Legion of Superheroes? <laughs> and as soon as I realized it, it was like I had been caught not studying for a test or something, and I immediately jumped back over to it. The book is boring. It's just a hot mess of overlapping personalities without any real distinction. And it's there's not enough time to develop. Or he doesn't take, Bendis does not take enough time to develop an interest in any one particular character. He does not. Yeah. You get, what, three origins this issue? Yeah, you got, and, and they're all like one page or maybe two page origins. And they don't really 
you learn more about Lightning Lad's sister than you do about Lightning Lad. Yeah. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but she's not shown up in a book before this. No, she hasn't. I gave the writing a two. The art, look, the art's good. I gave the art a four. The dynamic a one. My overall score on Legion of Superheroes is 2.7. I gave the art a four and the writing and dynamic a one. Yeah, so you gave it a two. I gave it a 2.7. Yeah. If you were going to be forced to read Legion of Superheroes or Justice League, which would you pick? I don't know. I guess Justice League. At least it has a story. Oh, that no, that's true. There's a plot developing in it. It's not necessarily a great one, but... Our final one, rounding off at DC, I hope on a high note for both of us, Wonder Woman Dead Earth number two of four issues. This is a black label title written by Daniel Warren Johnson with art by Daniel Warren Johnson. This book is abysmally astonishing. It's depressing, it's dark, and it may be, it may end up being the best Wonder Woman story in the last decade. I mean, it probably will be unless the ending craps out. When they announced this book, I didn't think much of it at all. I mean, the art and everything looked like a thousand image books I've looked at and read over the years, but the Lord, they've not, he, Johnson's done a fantastic job on this comic. He understands Wonder Woman. Yeah, he, he really he, does. I love that take of Wonder Woman's mother getting the gods drunk at a party, at an orgy or whatever, and then passing out and her going from each of the classic Greco-Roman gods and cutting their hands and taking yeah. blood from them and using that blood to mix into the clay as she creates Wonder Woman. I was willing to buy the New 52 redo that, okay, Diana is Zeus's daughter. I can handle that. I can buy that. That's fine. But there's so much more poetry to taking the, the blood of the gods and mixing it into the clay that creates Wonder Woman. Yeah. The story with the bracelets. He takes that element of submission that always had in Wonder Woman and he turns it on its ear. And it's that Wonder Woman submits to being not as powerful in order to make sure that she doesn't destroy others. The rest of it's set in a post-apocalyptic nuclear nightmare with creatures and everything that borrows from Damnation Alley and Mad Max. But he hits on these points about Wonder Woman in a way I've not even seen Grant Morrison do. Yeah, he really, really understands Wonder Woman, probably more so than anyone else writing anything at DC at the moment. Yes, give Daniel Warren Johnson carte blanche over this character, because he's got a take on her that I don't think we've seen in a while, if we've ever seen it, and he really does have an understanding of this character. And like you said, there's real great ideas in this story, such as Wonder Woman's origin and, and where the monsters come from that they run across. I can't think of a flaw in this book at all. The post-apocalyptic, the nuclear apocalyptic thing kind of turns me off because I feel like we visited and revisited that so much. And in the general consciousness, and I feel like the pinnacle of that was Terminator 2. So when they do that, I'm always kind of trepidatious. But I love this book. I'm not kidding when I say this may be the best Wonder Woman book we've gotten in a decade or two. Yeah. I gave the writing and dynamic a five. I gave the art a four. It's a 4.7, but... Really, it should be fives across the board by this book. Yeah, I gave it fives across the board. I don't. I think this is probably no. This is pretty much the best black label book they got going. I'm with you on that. This is a hell of a book. So yeah, Wonder Woman, get that one. I'm just thrilled to death with his work on this book. Okay, and now we move on to the House of Ideas. Can I talk about one more DC book? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't even write it. I've been keeping up with that He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse. Yeah. You can sort of say the book starts on the edges of the multiverse and they're working toward the center of of everything to where there's an absolute power source, the source or whatever you want to call it. So in this week's issue, you get the cartoon. They land on the, the cartoon world. With Orko. Yeah, with all that, and it looks exactly like the cartoon. It looks like they literally cut frames out of the comics. Well, the interesting thing is that at the end of the issue, they make their way to the center of everything, and the center of the He-Man multiverse is the mini-comics with the action figures. Well, that actually makes perfectly logical yeah, so sense. Like, I'm not going to rate it, but oddly, it's been a very interesting and fun book to read. So if you're a fan of He-Man, I know I fell off it after the first issue. So if you're a fan of He-Man or Masters of the Universe, definitely grab it. Yeah. 
That's all. I ain't going to write it. That's just all I want to say about it. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad you did. And now we move on to Marvel Comics, the House of Ideas. Other shop talk before we get into the Marvel Comics lineup, and there's not a ton of them this week. DC had the majority of books out. Marvel's Empire seems to be falling flat before even the first issue has come out. Our friend in, uh, that runs a shop in Tennessee, he was like, no, nobody's excited about this. I read a couple of articles online here and there, and I noticed that suddenly the X-Men are being dragged into a four-issue series with Empire. Yeah, this just doesn't, Empire just doesn't seem interesting at all. No, just like we were saying, maybe Justice League should have been put on hiatus. Maybe we don't have to have a crossover every year. Yeah, maybe there doesn't have to be an epic situation every year and we can just let books progress under their own power. And I may be completely wrong. This could end up being the greatest thing ever. I'm just not looking forward to it at all. How about you? I'm about the same. It's just some other crossover we're going to do. Yeah, as a matter of fact, when I read that Men's X-Men was being dragged into a four-issue series, I was like, crap. Really? Do we have to? Can we not just let them do their thing on Krakoa and go on with mutant life and whatever it is they're doing. Uh, Yeah. I'm just not excited about empire. So let's move on to another Marvel comic that I'm even less excited about 2020 machine man. Number one of two written by Christos Gage and Tom DeFalco art by Andy McDonald and Mike Hawthorne. I like the art. That's about all it had going for it. Well, my score is nothing personal to the artists. I, I didn't even necessarily care for that. I thought the book reached heretofore undreamt of levels of mediocrity, and they wrapped it up in a metallic tortilla of stupidity. There's nothing here to justify the price of this book, let alone the book's existence, and it makes me hate the current Iron Man title even more. If the plot with Machine Man and the other X series was like its own little miniseries of Machine Man that that just wasn't a part of Iron Man 2020... Yeah. It'd make an okay Machine Man miniseries, you know, if it was just its own little self-contained thing. But since you have all this other Iron Man 2020 stuff, it just, that interesting part of the story gets completely drugged down to nothing. Well, what I hate even more about it is they dragged Warren Ellis's work from, what was the name of his book? Next Wave. Yeah, from Next Wave. They dragged Warren Ellis's Next Wave into it. And that was a damn good book, and it doesn't deserve to be in a lesser title like this one. No, Next Wave was fantastic. Yeah, Next Wave was extraordinarily good. And it just machine, don't spend your money on Machine Man. Stay away from it. It's, as, it's almost, but not quite, as bad as the diaper-filled dumpster fire that is the erroneous Doctor Doom title currently. I gave him ones across the board. That's not slapping on the artists. It's just that I wasn't even engaged enough in it to look at the pictures as I scanned the words. I can usually overlook bad writing to appreciate the art. So I give the writing and the dynamic a one, and we'll say I give art a four. I thought the art was was fantastic, but it just ain't. This whole Iron Man 2020 AI war thing is just... Just not good at all. Yeah, move over, Tom King. Here comes Dan Slott. So save your money. Save your money. Guardians of the Galaxy number two. Al Ewing and Juan Cabal. I like the first issue, but because we've relaunched Guardians of the Galaxy so many times and you pointed this out, I was thinking, well, we'll just see. I am very much enjoying this book. I enjoyed issue number two more than I enjoyed number one. Al Ewing is definitely a talent to be reckoned with. He's offering us what I think is the best incarnation of Guardians of the Galaxy in comic book format to date. It's enjoyable. It's action-packed. It's suspenseful. I thought it's a great super team comic book. Yeah, it's okay. I didn't... I don't know. I just don't care for the Guardians anymore in the comic books. That kind of burns you out on them? Well, they keep redoing it with different writers and artists and everything nonstop. Whatever. This time it's Al Ewing. So the next time it'll be somebody else. Well, I think Al may be able to stay on it. He stayed on Immortal Hulk a while. That's Hulk. Yeah, but I, I really like the dynamics of this. Look, I think it's worth your money. I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a five. I gave the dynamic a four. Score 4.7 from me. How about you? I gave twos across the board. <gasps> no. Yeah. No. I didn't even like the art in it. My God. You you barbarian, you. I, I say buy it. 
Albert says probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. And now into the X-verse. Marauders number eight, writer Jerry Dugan, artist Stefano Caselli. I said it last week, man, on Savage Avengers, Jerry Dugan knows and appreciates the histories of these characters that he's writing. He knows how to enhance and amplify their stories and increase their legends. It's outstanding work. I love this book, and mostly I'm elated that, spoiler alert, Lockheed is alive. Yeah, Lockheed wasn't going to be dead. I'm, it is a very well-written book, and he really understands the characters. I find it odd that they went ahead and pulled the trigger on Kitty Pride being dead and her being sort of rejected from the island. But it seems well, like Bishop may have something going on there. Bishop seems to have a plan. Now, Kitty can walk on to the island. And she can go to points in the island. She can walk around the island. She just can't pass through the gates. Even if she is really dead, they can regen her. Or maybe they can't. Maybe there's something more at play here. I love the scene between Storm and Emma. That was a good scene. I really enjoyed that scene. You consider the first time that Storm met Emma. Emma had her troused up on a... There's no simple way of putting this... Emma had her bound down on BDSM gear and was torturing her during the Dark Phoenix saga. And Storm has always retained a dislike of Emma. This issue, Jerry Dugan plays off of that, but brings a resolution that even to somebody that bought that first issue of the White Queen's first appearance off of the rack at Food World can appreciate and accept these two characters getting along or working with each other. Yeah. And that was a great scene between the two of them. And damn, they brought Fenris back. I they even did, for- didn't they? Yeah, I even forgot about Fenris. Yeah, sure enough, they walked him in. So I can't wait to see what Emma does to all of them. Because <laughs> now this is quickly going from Kitty Pride's book to Emma's. <laughs> they'll, they'll change it back up. Oh, yeah. This is still Kitty Pride's book. But this is a great book. I, I love Jerry Dugan. I love the work he's doing. I love Marauders. I gave uh, the writing a five, the art a five, the dynamic a four. And I gave the dynamic a four because it was over too quick. I, I went through it. Even the info pages that Hickman includes and everything. Dang, I couldn't believe I got through it that quick. But the overall score was 4.7 for me. I gave the writing a five, the art a three, and dynamic a four. Art's okay. Art's just sort of, I mean, it does its job, but that's about it. I like the art. I thought he did a good job on the emotion in their faces and all. I go back on to the Emma and Storm dynamic. I don't know that a lesser artist would have drawn me in that way. But still, you know, we both highly recommend it, right? Yep, yep. Now, before we get into it, here's my question. Jimmy Olsen or the New Mutants? I think this week I might go with New Mutants. New Mutants number seven, writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Rod Rees. This book is everything that Legion of Superheroes wishes it was, but isn't. I have a feeling this may be what Hickman would have done if he would have got a hold of Legion. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I can't help but feel that Bendis is trying his damnedest to do it. Yeah. But the character interaction, the humor in this is on a par and even supersedes Jimmy Olsen in places. And it truly is one of the more outstanding books when it comes to character interaction. They even do a, a page of wink, wink, nod, nod, fourth wall breaking. You want to enjoy a comic, you want to, whether you're new to reading comics or whether you're like me and been doing it since 1979, 1978, you're going to want to read the New Mutants. This is a comic book for everybody. I highly recommend it. And they even have dueling stories going back and forth. There's not one continuous storyline. They jump back and forth between two groups, which they point out in this book. I gave this fives across the board. This is best X-Men book behind Hickman's X-Men, pretty yeah, much. I agree wholeheartedly. This is a fantastic book. I don't see how anyone that's ever liked New Mutants or any of these characters wouldn't really enjoy this book. So I gave it fives across the board as well. Yeah, outstanding. I, I love Robert's reaction. <laughs> you, you, there's a New Mutant story that's going on that doesn't involve me. <laughs> Robert DaCosta is a great character. He is. Yeah, it, it's also very enjoyable. And that brings us down to one book. Albert, our last book for the week. Dare I say that this book is the best there is at what it does? <laughs> Mostly. Wolverine, number one, written by Ben Percy, Art by Victor Bogdanovic. 
I say Bogdanovic. Bogdanovic, thank you. Art by Victor Bogdanovic on the secondary story and on the primary story, and the cover art is by Adam Kubert. I wasn't looking forward to the first Wolverine solo title in a while because of how abysmal that the previous Wolverine solo titles have all been in recent history. Just yeah. pointless Wolverine story after pointless Wolverine story. You can say, well, aren't all comic book stories pointless? No. That's in the hands of the writers and the creators, whether or not it's pointless. For a while now, it looks like Wolverine was being put out for a number of years just to fill that slot and just to have that money. I don't get the feeling of that at all with this book. I was wrong. This book is, I, I thought it was great. And for the first time in a very long time, it felt, it sounded, and it read like Wolverine to me. Kubert's art is on another level. Well, I, um, I, well, I almost wrote this book off because, the, the, you know, there's two stories in this comic. Yeah. And I, I didn't care for the first story at all, but the second story was absolutely fantastic. Oh, the, yeah, the vampire story? Yeah, that, the vampire story was great. I thought they both were. I really liked the first story. I was a little dismayed when we see that, okay, Wolverine has killed some of the X-Men again. But as we progress in that book, this is not quite what it looks like. I was better with that first story. What did you think of Kubert's artwork? This is the best it's been in a good long while. I mean, he has outdone himself, and that's not saying something lightly. Adam Kubert is a is a force and a half. Bogdanovich's artwork was almost as good. It was still up there. I mean, fives yeah. for both of them easily. Yeah, I like the second story as well, and I but I very much enjoyed the first story. So we differ on that. Either way, this is a higher priced issue number one, like they all usually are now. It's worth it. It's worth it. Wolverine is Wolverine again. And it feels like it. I'm excited for this. This easily fits into Hickman's X-Men repertoire, don't you think? Yeah, I, yeah. I gave the writing an art of four, and the, uh, no, that's not that's not right. Oh. I gave the writing an art of five overall, and the dynamic I gave a three because I don't like. So I didn't really care for the first story, and the price is a little too steep. Well, that's fair enough. I gave it fives across the board. I'm just happy Wolverine is back. But if if you're willing to pay that much money for a comic, get the comic. I agree. I, but look, I'm telling you, if you're a fan of Wolverine, Wolverine's back. Pick up this book. Okay, with that, that's going to conclude this week's Kingdom Cast podcast. We're tooling around with the format and some other things as well, so let us know what you think. As always, for the first time this week, rather than sign off the way we usually do, when we run the theme music, or when the theme music gets heavy at the end, we have official statements. We've got that going for us now. Look, we cannot thank you enough. If you like us, give us five stars. That helps us greatly. Our contact information follows us signing off tonight. So thank you all very much. We'll be back with the normal podcast next week. And also... This Sunday, you'll have the Chris Faison interview with the book club books, that uh, trade paperback books that Albert and I recommend. And shortly following that, you get the long-awaited Kingdom Cast's Media Mess Episode 9. And I'm here to tell you, by the end of it, Albert is wearing Mickey Mouse ears that look like C-3PO in a Star Wars shirt with his action figures and everything. So there's something for you to look forward to. Actually, I'm wearing nothing. <laughs> I don't wear any clothes when I do these podcasts. I'm completely naked. Well, I think it adds to I, I think it adds to the ambiance. <laughs> God. All right, Albert. Tell him good night. Good night. <laughs> good night, everybody, and thank you again. Let us know what you think. Let us know what, about the direction you think we're going in. Any suggestions? Any questions? Any comments you have? Let us know whether or not you want your name mentioned on the program. Kingdom Comics at gmail.com or kingdomcasts. That's kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook as KingdomCast, without an S on the end of it. We're going to get that one fixed. And Kingdom Comics on Facebook as well. You can message us there on both. Lord, we really can't thank you enough. 5,000 listens, that, that is something else. We really, really appreciate that. Albert, you got anything to add? I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all. That's it for us tonight, and we'll talk to you next week. Albert, tell them good night. Good night, good night.
خاص